been a while, but we're back again with the Rogue Retro Smackdown review coming out of Insurrection, which I think is the last time we did something to do with the retro review. Could be. I can't remember time. It's a flat circle. But, you know, if it was, then it was a long way back from London to get back to wherever else Smackdown was being held at this point in 2000 to reunite with the man who will help me drag out this long recap of the episode of Smackdown is Sam Preston. Hello, Sam. Hello, Mr. McLeod. Welcome back to Unventured Territory. Did you have a lovely time watching Insurrection? I think I did, although I was very drunk. So there was that. That is the best way to get through it, guaranteed. I uh, I think we hooked up my, my laptop to Paul's TV, so that's how we, wa- we were all able to watch it. And I forgot how loud we kind of put the volume up because there are points where we stopped talking, but you can hear almost very quite clearly as if he's also in the room with his JR doing his commentary at points. <laughs> <laughs> so you pretty much can just watch Insurrection by listening to that podcast. And just like, it's probably what you're imagining in your mind is probably a million times better than what's actually on screen. So it's the best way of doing it. Use your imagination. Don't actually watch the show. God. I know. It's like 80% of it is us talking about something. Oh, Jermaine, so and so and so did this and that. Oh, look at that. It was a nice suplex. <laughs> Every so often we realize we have to actually talk about what's what we're actually watching. I, I do love the way that every now and again it's just uh, a random, oh, that's a nice suplex. It's kind of like watching Vince McMahon on commentary all over again. Oh, what a manoeuvre! Oh, what a manoeuvre! Is it going to be free? One, two... Oh, no. No, it's not. No, it's not. No. <laughs> How have you been, Sam, while I've been making my way back from London and seeing if London Bridge wasn't the only thing falling down? The legit, the legit tagline to that show. Oh God, I'm I'm so glad that like there was no major catastrophes at the time because that could have been even more awkward than the tagline already is. Um, I've spent the majority of your time travelling back, stuck in a darkened room playing with spreadsheets. <laughs> at one point, four over fourteen thousand lines I did over a week, and then at the end of it, as I closed my eyes, all I could see was the next number on the spreadsheet. So, thank you for dragging me away from my sheets. I do appreciate it. I've been playing spreadsheets. I'm like, Jesus, these PS- PS5 titles are getting lazy with the names. <laughs> uh, it's just now they know that all they have to do is just say, oh, we've released something, and people go, we'll buy it. What is it? Don't know? Don't care. <laughs> it's so realistic. I really feel like I'm wasting my life. <laughs> If I if I was to feel any more realistic, I would feel the cheese fritos on my fingers. <laughs> uh, talking about insurrection, there's only one thing from insurrection that really falls onto Raw or SmackDown, and we're going to talk about it in this episode. So mind out for that. But it's getting to the point where we joke about the length of these these episodes, but I'm starting to think these episodes are going to start to become longer, mainly because of the extended recap I'm going to have to give for Raw because these two. Next couple of episodes, Raw was just absolutely mental, and I'm annoyed that they don't. They stopped for these two episodes, particularly recapping what happened on Raw. Did they get someone out to tell you, or it was yeah, yeah, briefly a brief smack of the night brought to you by Very Two Thousands sponsor for the week, like Maximum Edge Cola or Lugs or 
insert random play PS2 game that only people born at the time remember. And I wonder how many of those that I would remember each time when I go, oh, I remember crashing and burning on that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now, nowadays, if it was exactly the same, what you mainly be seeing is um, monster energy <laughs> leading the way. <laughs> well, let's get to it, shall we? Let's go back to Monday Night Raw uh, on the 8th of May 2000. Now, Notably on this Raw and SmackDown, as revealed on SmackDown, The Rock is in Hollywood filming his part in The in the Mummy Returns. And I say filming, and he's filming the opening bit, and then he's standing in some weird green screen room so they can produce that computer-animated monstrosity that appears at the end. That That is... I don't think monstrosity truly conveys the level of awfulness um, that that green screen is. And it's ridiculous. Why would you take a muscle-bound Dwayne Johnson who probably looks like he could eat um, Brendan Fraser uh, and still have time to toothpick afterwards. Why would you take that beautiful god-like figure and turn it into a PlayStation cutscene from 1997? <laughs> I know. Really, it's all talk about gods and, you know, undead and curses and all that. Not many films, but weirdly, yeah. Uh, the most unrealistic thing is that Brendan Fraser is able to beat The Rock in any form of combat. It's like in the first like Oceans movie at the start, Brandon uh, Brad Pitt's character is like a bodyguard, and you got Topher Grace playing himself. And somebody commented on saying like in a weird alternate universe where Topher Grace is a bigger star than Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, amazingly, Topher Grace is the only one who appears in all three of the uh, Oceans Eleven films with Brad Pitt. And I think even in the third film, he's almost replacing him. So I imagine if they ever did an Ocean's 14, you'll just have like Telford Grace come in playing Brad Pitt's character and act as if like nothing has changed. And every now and again, you just have Brad Pitt suddenly appear in a cameo and be like, hey, hey, can I be in this part? Can I be in this part? No, fuck off, armpit. <laughs> but yeah, The Rock's away filming his part in The Moment Returns. He'll be back next week. But that then left Chris Jericho to kind of fill this massive rock-shaped hole in the show. As Chris Jericho defends the Intercontinental Championship, not once, not twice, but thrice across this show. How did that happen? I'll tell you. Uh, Triple H and the regime, as they'll call them, come out to... Poke fun at what happened on SmackDown, you know, the last thing that they, they acknowledge in continuity without insurrection of when they beat up Pearl Hebner and they're laughing about it and, you know, just poking fun at Earl Hebner's dismay. And the and also Triple H wants to get the WF title back and he's fully healed because he was in a sling last we saw him on SmackDown. And he says that I want to face the Rocket Judgment Day and he challenges him to an Iron Man match. And like he's building it up as the kind of match that we can really sell. Who find out who's the man? He goes, "You and me, Iron Man match." And and, that, and then that, that brief silence you heard there is exactly what the crowd did because clearly none of these people were around in '96. They're like, "Ah, oh, okay." Or what's that? Um, sorry. Can you explain to those in the back who? I weren't around in 96 and to be fair even those who are around in 96 probably would need a moment to realize because it's like 
there's only one of these in WWE history. So they would be like, I've heard of this Iron Man match, but what does it entail? What does it actually include? What I really need is a 20-minute soliloquy where I'm introduced to the concept of it so I understand, please. Well, that's what Broadway's basically does. 60 minutes, all this crap. And he'll repeat it across the next couple of weeks. Maybe so that they can really get people across to you, like you're thinking about buying a like, what is this match between The Rock and Joe? Like, oh, we've tell you, like, I'll tell you one more time. 60 minutes, whoever has the most falls, it's like they're trying to beat your head so that you won't be confused. So Triple H legit feels like he has to actually go 20 minutes the one time he wasn't meant to. Uh, and then Vince starts to cut a bit of a promo, but he's cut off with Chris Jericho, who also got involved in a bit of a scrimmage with the regime at the end of the previous Smackdown. And he said, like, Vince, I'm sorry for laying my hands on you. It's almost, it was almost second nature. Kind of like when these fans feel the need to call your son a pussy. And the fact that your daughter, Stephanie, is a dirty, disgusting, bottom-feeding trash bag. And then he implies that Vince has a small penis. Uh, the kind of humour that Jericho, if you ever watch AEW, clearly thinks is still funny. His, his, his gimmicks may change, but his humour does not. Hmm. But uh, Vince then kind of just laughs off all of what Jericho thinks, because, you know, like, you really want to be talking all this crap to us, you know, you see how many of us there are here, and there's just one of you. And so they slowly go get go, okay, the ready to meet Jericho on the ramp. But then basically a case of, okay, the Rock's not here, all of the other baby faces. So out come the big show where Kishi and the Dudleys all stand behind him to try and, you know, to back him up, it's the babyface side of the roster minus the Rock versus the regime is the plot line for Raw. And Jane says that promises that he's going to settle things between him and the Big Show later on, more on that later. So, Jericho's first icy title defence would be against Kurt Angle. And he says, I am honoured to be chosen to defend the honour of Stephanie McMahon. Uh, and it was a decent match, it's pretty, it's pretty short, the guys will have longer matches later in the year. Uh, but Angle... Gets carried, like, the Olympics, the Olympics line gets carried into a Walter Jericho for uh, a surprise submission loss for Angle. Angle actually taps out uh, to Chris Jericho, which is weird, and Daryl Aller was losing his shit about it. So, so that was weird. And then Shane goes to the big big show, confronts Shane in his dressing room. He's ready to rip him apart, and then he says, like, no, all that stuff I said about you, about being unmotivated, about being assault, that was trying to fire up. See, like, you're angry. That's what I want from you. This is the big show we should get. So guess what? I'm going to help get, you know, tell you to get out some of that rage. As you're going to fight Chris Jericho for the Intercontinental title. And when that second match is there, GR is like, but what? Jericho's already wrestled tonight. Mm. Uh, I love the sounds of indignation. Like, hang on, he's already got his winner's purse. How many winner's purses is he going to get tonight? This is ridiculous. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a funny wrestling math question. So, so kids, if Chris Jericho has three matches and he wins two of them, how many winners, winners, purses will he have? 75%. This <laughs> is actually a six, six and two thirds percent chance. But you're, you were close. And that's because the first two know they can't beat Jericho. So they're not even going to try. <laughs> so the big show gets his icy tail shot. Oh, by the way, what beautiful thing from Jericho that matches that flag on nowadays. Each time he comes out for his three matches, with every subsequent match, he sells how, how knackered he is even though the first two matches don't go very long. But he's just telling the fact, like, all right, one more title match, okay. 
that he's too knackered to even do his like Y2J pose at the top of the ramp. It's evident that back then, unfortunately, Chris Jericho was not a 60-minute man. Uh, thank God he's not in the uh, he's not in this Iron Man match. But he has this next match against Jer- against the Big Show. You know, Jericho implodes like ten years before they would ever become a thing. Oh but, my God, it's foreshadowing. <laughs> but Big Show basically just destroys Jericho. It's pretty one sided, and again, it makes sense given that Jericho's still a bit knackered and Big Show's a fucking giant. But then some footage plays on the trial. We don't know who rolled this, but. When Big Show left Shane Logan, we said, oh, i got to get, take this call to my stop broker or whatever. And then we get, for the first time, what would become a, a reoccurring thing between Shane and the Big Show. Uh, and something I've been waiting for. He's like, oh, yeah, i got the Big Show wrapped around my little finger. You should have seen him walk in. Oh, which way did he go? Which way did he go? Uh, Shane, his hubris is about to attack him. And I, for one, cannot wait. I loved the fact that they kept this going for a long time. Like even in 2016, when it was like Shane and Brian on one side of the stage for SmackDown and Mick Foley and Steph on the other side, when Raw drafted Big Show, Shane t- nudged Daniel goes, Hey Daniel, which way did he go? Which way did he go? You'll <laughs> uh, he'll come up with better ones in about a year's time, but uh, we can build up the anticipation for that one. <laughs> So yeah, Big Show chases after Shane and ends up getting carried out. So it's another little defence for uh, for Jericho. But then it comes back to Stephanie as a spoiled, you know, rich kid. Just like, oh, but Dad, I want to see Jericho lose the IC title. So uh, Vince says, don't worry. He's going to defend it one more time against Chris Benoit. Where, and that match has a special guest referee, Triple H. Oh my. Uh, Benoit again dominates Jericho because Jericho's just knackered. Uh Triple H just gets shoved at one point. Jericho locks in the walls of Jericho, but then Stephanie comes in and say, so instead of like checking to see if Benoit's going to tap out, which he does because Triple H is back turned, Triple H just wanders over to Stephanie and they just start having a chat as if to say, all right, yeah, what, are you, what are you thinking of going for dinner? I don't know, there's a new place up the road and Jericho's just looking over and so they like, hey, he's tapping, hey. <laughs> they're just having a, a chat <laughs> and so the Jericho gets in Triple H's face and then Chris Benoit locks in the, the cross face and Triple H doesn't even look to see if there's a tap, but he just calls for the belt to be wrong. So, Jericho screwed Jericho. Uh, Jericho, unfortunately, your uh, your own inability to have uh, to not have the last word and cause up a, and cause a fight meant you lost your title. But thankfully, you did put in a good effort of being a possible 15-minute man. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> so, yeah. That's the story of Jericho having to defend the IC title three times. And we should talk about a couple of the other matches that got made. Uh, sorry, so it seems like all oh, the faces have uh, the, the regime kind of like scrambling because two of the matches that get announced are uh, Gerald Briscoe having to take the Dudleys on by himself in a tables match and Rikishi versus Pat Patterson. And then you wonder, like, okay, what kind of shenanigans are going on here? Even the Stooges are back to each other and each other, like, what the hell? Why, why does he want me to fight the Dudleys? Like, and what is he thinking? And then they realise, oh, there's a plan in place. But she also mentioned Briscoe comes out to Real American. And then uh, then it's announced, actually, oh, no, you're not fighting just Gerald Briscoe. You're fighting Briscoe and his tag team partners, TNA. And so, and also Briscoe not being a full-time wrestler only comes in when the Dudleys are getting beat down. Uh, the Dudleys still win. They hit a 3D on test. Then Ekkum, Xbox, Tory, and the Road Dog is a Briscoe. And then he, he, Briscoe manages to do 
to dive off the top rope at a splash through Bubba Ray through a table. So, but Gerald Briscoe in his fifties, I want to say, put one of the Dudleys through a table. Of all the scenes, I thought I would ever have to listen being reiterated. Gerald Briscoe putting the Dudley boys through tables was around about the middle of my expectations. <laughs> so then Pat Harrison got some convincing, like, oh, well, what about me? What Where's my backup for my match against uh, against Rikishi? And then he has the match, and then Vince comes in just to match the bit of stars. says, oh, Pat Harrison also has tag team partners, X-Pac and Rupert Dog. Rikishi basically manages to hold off quite well on his own, and then Pat Harrison tries to take advantage of him when he's uh, distracted. I'm going to leave a joke there about Pat Barson taking advantage of somebody. Uh, it ends the DQ after the heels use a chair on Rikishi. And then in a moment that gets recapped far too often on this episode of SmackDown, Pat Barson gives a stink face to Rikishi with skid marks and his white drawers. Yeah, I'm in the, in the best interest of keeping my lunch, I'm going to refrain from much comment about that. Apart from why am I not surprised? It was probably written by Vince McMahon. Because poop. Poop is funny. <laughs> it's good shit, pal. Literally. <laughs> uh, also, after the Bear One match, there was also the typical big brawl to end these shows in the attitude era. Uh, like they were beating down Jericho, and then the Dudleys took it all, and the big show all came out to make the save and to continue this big story of basically all the faces versus the McMahons and DX which carries on to the 11th of May episode of SmackDown, which is the show we're going to talk about right now. (laughs) And we open with an actual match, which is nice for once. Uh, And it's the Dudleys, as we mentioned before, taking on TNA. Uh, But we also get a recap of Briscoe putting Bubba to the table because Briscoe comes out at the top of the ramp and replays it for us. (laughs) And he he says, and this is, he's meant to be the heel, by the way, Gerald Briscoe, because it says, and what I did that because the Dudleys, you put women through tables. And I believe in women's rights. <laughs> and I want to welcome back, you know, a person who was victimized by the Dudleys. Please welcome back Trish Stratus. <laughs> and a good plot for her. No, nope, don't give a shit about the fact that T and E are, are with her. But, you know, they're happy Trish is back. So I had the same thought where I was like, holy crap, we start with a match. And then realized that I'd spoke too soon because Gerald Briscoe came out. And two things. One, it's slightly strange and disconcerting that what would be a guaranteed babyface move nowadays is what Briscoe uses to get heat and probably isn't a great indication of the um, town that they're in at the moment. And the second thing is that, to some degrees, this feels less of a match and more of the Dudley boys versus the hidden segments. <laughs> as you also had Shane O'Mac come out. And at that point, Bubba Ray Dudley's frustration was my spirit animal. <laughs> I had never felt such a connection to Bubba Ray Dudley, which, considering I say that, on the week where he made probably the worst comments possible about John Moxley, um it makes me feel slightly dirty inside. I'm not going to lie. I'd actually forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're glad Gerard Briscoe put you through a table. Fuck you, Bubba. I wish he put you through more tables. <laughs> but... I wish that's all we did. Just put you through tables again and again and again. Because you know why? Because it would be good heat, pal. <laughs> so Shane then comes in and says, yes, I echo your sentiments. I too 
uh, are standing up for women's rights because these guys like to put women through tables. What if one of those women happened to be my sister, Stephanie? <laughs> Which really puts a new context into it when you see that from their point of view, like when they try to take her Chris Jericho, when you really think about it, yeah, he called your your daughter and sister uh, a trash bag ho, so of course they're going to try and get back at him. But, you know, they're also arseholes, so boo. I, I, you end up feeling very conflicted because you're like, hang on, the good guy is the one who keeps on insulting people and the bad guys are the one who are trying to defend her honour. What kind of upside-down, topsy-turvy world are we living here? <laughs> we're living in the world 2000. That's where we're living. <laughs> anyway, uh, not really much to say about the match itself. You know, obviously with Briscoe and Shane as well as Tristratus at Ringsing, you knew things were going to go awry very quickly, and they do. Because Briscoe does try and grab Devon's leg very early on. Uh, Albert getting takes advantage to get a clothesline. Tristrath also tries to get up on the apron, not realizing that clearly, as a result of backlash, her effects on Bubba don't work anymore. But uh, she gets knocked off the apron, but luckily Briscoe's there to catch her when she falls. Uh, give, a, give a reverse version of the 3D where they do like the back suplex into a netbreaker. Commentators still seem to call it 3D from now, from time to time. But they go for the pin from that, but Shane manages to pull the referee out. Uh, Tess manages to get the win for his team with that very underrated elbow drop, but again, it doesn't put TNA as the strongest team when even as, though they're being brought in as enforcers to help do the bidding of like the heels, Shane and Briscoe as non-full-time wrestlers still have to do a lot to help them get the win over the Dudleys. Yeah, which really doesn't help the fact that I probably cannot remember the last time that TNA won a match, which considering that you're wanting to put them over as a legitimate threat, needing an old man and a non-wrestler to help them defeat a tag team really doesn't help building them up. Um, So that's something that I was a little bit disappointed with. And to be honest, it wasn't a match. It was mainly meant as a segment that was held together in between bits of wrestling, you know, which is basically WWE sports entertainment in general on war nowadays. Um, so it's, it's not a great start because you get this moment of excitement thinking, Oh, we're going to have a wrestling match. And then it just gradually turns into a segment and another segment and another segment and then ends with the next segment. Yeah, I mean, I think even though even when TNA win, it's weirdly more forgettable when they win than when they lose because people forget they won the match at Backlash, but all you people remember is Trish getting put through the table because you know that's more exciting. Uh, and then I think they tried to get revenge the following night on Raw and then they lost. So you know, and I've, I was I sounded confusing at first trying to remember like why the hell are TNA aligned with Shane and Briscoe? I remember. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure these guys play a part in this Shane Big Show feed. I vaguely have memories of that. But then, speaking of the show, he comes out to try and take out Shane. Uh, Shane manages to you know bravely run away, away like Sir Robin, leaving Tess behind to take a choke slam for the Big Show. And then I'm thinking about it when Big Show briefly, I think he got accompanied to the ring by Shane for his IC title match. So he was briefly back on side with Shane and then saw what he said and then chased him again. So. Does that mean for at least half an hour on Raw, Big Show turned heel again, and upon Shane slagging him, turned face again? No, okay. un- 
Uh, no, no. It has been scientifically proven that the only way we can count a big show turn is if it lasts for at least 72 hours, because otherwise we would get whiplash um, and neck cramp from the amount of tossing and turning back and forth. We've made part of a storyline when Big Show like, came out, had that one match in AEW, all out the top of it. Oh, about your hip surgery and everything. I'm surprised he didn't have neck surgery the amount of Matt times he's had to do the turns, he's fucking must be dizzy. No, it makes sense because he didn't turn with his neck, he turns with his hip, like you're supposed to do when you lift things up. So actually, you could almost say that if not for the fact of his age, he would be a wonderful example of correct lifting and twisting. He should yeah. work in a supermarket. <laughs> well, I don't know, I don't have a joke for that, so I'm just gonna move on. <laughs> And I don't know if there was a segment between these two matches. If there was, I haven't noted it down. So as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't exist. There was a segment, but it was pointless because you've already explained at the very beginning that Triple H was a referee and cost a title. I got more information from you during your explanation than the actual segment of where they showed what happened. So thank you. Uh, My only uh, adage to it is the fact that this means that last week's title change last week is in SmackDown, not when we last actually published this, because that might be a couple of months, um, lasted entire five full working days, which I imagine in 1999 would probably be the third longest WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Because <laughs> uh, I remember like Jericho fights Eddie on Insurrection, which is why I was surprised when we saw the title. I thought, no, I remember Jericho fighting for the European title, but they did the thing that they same thing that they would deal on Jeff Jarrett uh, for back at Rebellion '99 when they were last in the UK, where they basically had the IC champ be the European champ, and they decided which title was on the line via flip of the coin, and Eddie somehow won. So Jericho, just the way he got his reps in on Raw, because you know he barely had much time to have much of a reign, so he had to get all his title defenses in on one night. And, and he probably still defended it more than Stephanie McMahon's six-month reign as women's champion. Or at time recording, Intercontinental Champion uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. He defended it more more in five days than Nakamura has in the last two months. He Basically, Nakamura de, uh, defends it um, as if he's still in lockdown. Yes. <laughs> no, one has, no one's had the heart to tell him that we're not. Shinsuke, Shinsuke, we're out. You can go surfing again. No, I stay. I stay. I'm, I'm sure this was created as a Nicolas title defense, but Benoit is taking on the Godfather because because reasons. It's nice to see the Godfather. Godfather, you know, Benoit establishes himself truly as the heel, not just because you know he he, helped, he had help from the evil Triple H, but because he interrupted the Godfather's opening spiel. And we like the spiel. Anyway, so it was right after The Godfather. There's a really impressive Northern Lights suplex. Uh, the fly nothing from The Godfather, where he goes for a splash, but he was nowhere near Benoit. So I don't know what you were going for there, Charles. Smoking a bit too much of that green stuff backstage. Benoit gets a quick one with the cross face. And then Michael Cole keeps on like, I don't think, you know, you know, King, I don't think Jericho tapped that. Like, gee, you think so? You think the fact that the way Triple H very quickly went and float, went until the, re- the time you were around the bell was not an indicator. So then Michael Cole, Mr. War Correspondent, thinks himself as belly big bollocks and goes up to Chris Benoit, of all people, 
and basically says to him, I don't think you deserve to be Intercontinental Champion. Whatever the Godfather was smoking, evidently Michael Cole had a bit of it backstage as well because he basically <laughs> displays more guts and balls than sense going into that ring. At the, when I was watching this, I was thinking to myself, Michael, am I about to actually give you some credit? And then this promo, I'm going to say it. I think it's a really good promo, actually, from Chris Benoit, believe it or not. I think it's fantastic. I'll let you discuss in, in detail what he actually says, but then I will go back into explaining why I like it. Yeah, I mean, for me, Benoit has a very low standard I have a low expectation because the Benoit promo because no, it's not his strong suit. But yeah, but it doesn't start off well. He says like, "You don't, may not look like he tapped out, but I guarantee you he did." Like, basically saying like, "I don't care if you think he didn't. I say he did." So yeah, <laughs> but then basically says like, "You know, even if Triple H hadn't rang for the bell, he would have made Jericho tap out, and therefore he challenges Jericho to a submission match at Judgment Day." And I thought immediately that got me going, "Ooh." Because I knew they had a match at Judgment Day. I didn't realise it was a submission match. So, but, you know, random matches against the Godfather and the big show aside, it really does feel like this is being established as the workhorse title again. And there's even a, when we come back from a break, a bit of a, a parking lot brawl briefly between Jericho and Benoit. And I say parking lot brawl, it was clearly a brawl. But what we saw was people holding the bat like, leave him, it's no worth it. He's not worth it. He's not worth it. Let's just go home. All, all you need is the drunken maids in the background at the pub and that sort of thing. Um, the, re- the reason why I like this promo from Chris Benoit is because he's basically saying that Jericho didn't tap or quit because he was already unconscious, which is an, which is almost believable enough of a reason for a heel to think themselves in the right. It has enough areas to it that it grays it. So you think to yourself, hang on, you might actually have a good point. And one of the, some of the best heels I feel are those who 100% believe that what they're saying or what they're doing is correct and right. Now, Benoit comes across almost as a face here because not only is he showing an element of integrity by um, offering a rematch to the point that Kurt Angle would be very proud of his uh, one eye. Um, but he also, as you said, is showing the workhorse tendency of the IC champion and is demonstrating a really good fighting spirit. So this had almost like a slight inkling to enough of a third dimension to Benoit's character that if they ever did turn him face in the future, which at this time is probably looking very unlikely, you could you could see enough that you could believe it. And that's what I like. I think this char- this promo in the space of like two minutes probably gave Benoit more characterization than the last month or two. And most importantly, it makes the championship feel important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird with Benoit right now because you know he's very much doing his own thing right now. Because you know, we're also going to see in the next couple of weeks, basically the desolation of the the radicals, and most of that's been done between Eddie Perry and Dean. But like nobody seems, to, everyone, nobody seems to notice that Benoit's technically still meant to be a radical. And this, like, if you but this moment he feels more like 
obviously an honorary member of the, this current version of DX. Then he does a radical because of what he's been doing to help them like get back. He really don't like like Jericho and uh, next week The Rock. So it really does feel like he's more in line with that stuff. But it goes to show the faith they already have in Benoit. But also the fact that you know he he just looks very scary. And we'd learned that we should have been scared of Benoit. You know, but it was already too late by then. But like the fact that he recently like I think he breaks his nose in a match with Jericho fairly recently, so he's still got his face is still a bit fucked up. And so again, which is why I think that you know maybe a hundred pounds Michael Cole walking up to and say like, oh I don't think Jericho does. How can you call yourself the Eric Continental Champion? Just like Michael, look at this man. Do you really want to make him angry? Yeah, Michael, why why would you be so stupid? I mean, he's just spent time making fun of Shane McMahon saying, why would you be so stupid as to anger a giant? And then he decides to go anger a man like Chris Benoit. Just within the context of him as a wrestler at this point, it would be the stupidest thing to do. You might as well go poke Bruiser Brody in the eye and go, na 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 I was going to say, like, it may not have uh, made Jericho happy, but Michael, if he gets you in the crossface, he's going to snap you in half without a second thought. And then afterwards, he's going to uh, remove Michael Cole's uh, microphone uh, from his offices and use it to remove any meat between his teeth. <laughs> uh, but that's again, it's another big match being made for, for Judgment Day, which is uh, not to be excited about now. I figured when I when I sat down to watch the SmackDown, I uh, looked across the segments on the network. I thought, like, oh, good, we're not starting with a promo, but uh, we've got one to come. So there's the next uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes or whatever uh, to on the show. But then, when the regime comes out to the ring, I soon realised, oh, it's that segment. So therefore, for, just for this one week, I'll give you a bit of review. I'm sorry for what I may have said in previous weeks, but for this one week, you know, I was. I, this is the one week I wish they would have went longer, and for reasons I shall make vastly clear. They come out to the ring and they recap some stuff that happened on Raw, including Pat Patterson's, you know, dirty underwear. Okay, that's maybe not the best start, but it gets better because he announces a six-man elimination match where it'll be Too Cool and Rikishi taking on Xbox, Road Dog, and Triple H. Oh, nice main event. Shane, again, continues to unwisely poke fun at the big show, which is not wise. Uh, he also puts the big show into a handicap tables match against the Dudleys. So, you know, basically, if you if you screw with the McMahons and DX, you have to wrestle more than once at a show. That's your main punishment, we've learned. So, <laughs> makes that match later on. Triple H says that The Rock still has officially answered his challenge for the Iron Man match. He says, oh, The Rock's scared. Do you know what no his excuse was for not answering my challenge? He has this phony excuse that, oh, he had to go to Hollywood. He had to go to Morocco to film some crappy movie called The Mummy 2. Uh, and he says, because, you know, but I think The Rock's too scared to answer my challenge. But The Rock, you better be here Monday to answer my challenge for Judgment Day. And then. And then. And the mic to Vince McMahon. And Vince McMahon, I'm going to try and do this as much word for word as I can. It's almost a monologue here. Vince McMahon says, you know, some of you think that me making Drift Jericho defend the Aircoinal Championship overall until he lost it, you think that was, no, you think that's not fair. You see, 
you're those guys who think stuff's not fair. When you're standing in line, you wait for hours, and then someone like me cuts in in front of you like, hey, that's not fair. Or what about the parking lot? You look for a space, and just when you finally find it, someone like me and my BMW cuts in front of you, takes your parking spot, and you think, hey, that's my parking spot. That's not fair. And he says, what about when you objectively look yourself in the mirror? Just look at yourselves. women. you look at yourself like, ugh, that's not me, is it? With all that cellulite hangout and the... <laughs> also, I love when he talks about the women, how they actually see themselves. Tori looks at her own self like, yeah, I'm still looking good. <laughs> uh, just small touches. But then he talks about the men, like, women, you look at yourself like, that's not me, with the pot belly and the small genitalia. That's not fair. Oh, and what about the money? You scrimp and you save, and you still can't afford the things you want, and you think that's not fair. But you see, the thing is, most of you were born with inferior DNA, and over you, life isn't fair. And sometimes, but to face the harsh reality, <clears throat> that life sucks, and then you die. I think. <sighs> you, you do feel he's just waiting for a standing ovation afterwards um okay i'm sure it surprised you to hear i have thoughts um i'm gonna go first of all to pat patterson's announcement of the six-man elimination match because i was when he when he um when he revealed it i was about to make fun of him um and then i went oh that's actually a really good match Maybe Pat should book this shit. Um, and then I was like, oh, fantastic. We've got two matches announced with Big Show versus the Dully Boys. And as you can imagine it this way, I'm starting to make my notes of how many matches were originally booked and how many were made up on the night. And I'm like, my God, I'm going to get a good quota here. Um, the several minutes of Triple H telling us how damn good he is um, was, was, again, some of the most repetitive shit possible i mean it's it's painful enough when you watch it once a week when you watch multiple episodes one after the other and every episode you get a triple a triple h promo it gets really really fucking annoying and i've heard some people say they think that vince mcmahon's promo was one of the best round about this time in terms of gaining key um I was bored. I'm gonna. I was bored shitless. I was so fucking bored by that point. I was starting to count the eyelashes on my head. It was fucking ridiculous. Um, this was 12 minutes that could have been done in three minutes, and it's very frustrating because you had started off with some relatively good momentum from the first two matches. Not great matches, but. The ball had been rolling. Something was happening. You were getting, you were getting this momentum building up like a like a rock, pun not attended. And this basically is a wall having having been shoved up and stopped all of that momentum and killed it. Because at this point, you've now had it that one third of this entire show has been de- dedicated to just this one segment, and it is not good enough. 
as a segment to justify that. Well, be clear to have opposing views. <laughs> this is 12 minutes shorter, shorter than your average McMahon Helmsley segment. Honestly, I could have had more. Hell, give the full 12 minutes to Vince because the others I kind of shortened down, like I shortened down all of Triple H's spiel. Yeah, was, uh, looking at across these promos for the next week or so, they're all very similar. So I had to kind of cut that down. But like, I just remember watching Vince just being, you know, peak dickhead. I'm Mr. McMahon. I'm better than all of you. The one downside to uh, this promo is also the line about fear, DNA and everything. And so Jerry Lawler will not let that line fucking go. <laughs> like whenever Michael, he implies that Michael Cole has inferior DNA every time Michael Cole disagrees with him. Or whenever he's a person, obviously, I think he'll come out or he doesn't like and they're not doing well. He says, well, that's because so-and-so has inferior DNA, but not like Mr. McMahon. So that aside, I think this is one of, not it's not Vince's best promo. But I think it's one of his most memorable. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be uh, agreeing to disagree there because I'm I'm getting fed up of SmackDown having it every episode. It feels like at least ten to twenty minutes dedicated to segments, ton of stuff that we've already been informed of, and. If I if I wanted to just be sat there for 10, 20 minutes being told everything that I already learned, I'd go back to fucking school. Yeah, <laughs> I don't need that shit in my life. There, I, I, I only lived so long. I'm not going to be the man who lives to be 200. I'd be amazed if I am. So I haven't got years to waste on this shit. Um, so watching this promo continue, and I just... <sighs> It's becoming such a crutch for SmackDown to lean on and getting repetitive. I mean, you you could cut sixty seconds of the entrances. You've got twenty, uh, like twelve, well, twelve minutes dedicated to it. That could have been three minutes. Uh, if you really removed everything Triple H and McMahon Holmesy wise, you could probably have a fourteen minute show at this rate. It's it get it, it gets very frustrating for me in that. Yes, I know they're there to generate the heat, but there is to a point that you think, can we just fucking get on with it? Because we don't need you telling us everything we've already been told four or five times ad nauseum. And by this point, Vince McMahon's promo did nothing for me because it doesn't really feel like anything different to what we've already had. You know, but if we, had, if we didn't have these segments, how would we know what the main event was? I mean, how possibly could we know what matches were coming up later on? <laughs> but, you know, you do be like, oh, like, it gets repetitive when you watch, you know, multiple episodes. Like, you 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 say that as somebody who doesn't watch the fucking Raws here. And I'm yep. someone, I'm, I'm somebody who, when I watch the episode of Raw, usually just so I can keep stuff fresh and, like, keep my momentum going and keep my notes up to date. I usually watch, turn off the end of Raw thinking, oh, that was a good or decent episode of Raw. Let's see how it fell out on SmackDown. So I usually watch them literally one after the other. So and usually the first thing I'm greeted with is, oh, past week on Raw, like, I just saw it. Yeah, but the reason why you don't mind it is because you basically have experienced Stockholm Syndrome. Um, you are further along the line than I am. You've been indoctrinated. You are part of Waco right now. <laughs> Okay, and I'm the guy on the outside of Waco going, nobody else thinks this is fucking weird. 
Nobody else wants to go home. I'd like to go home, please. I'd like to have enough of this sermon shit. You could literally, literally believe Triple H and Vince McMahon would spend seven hours regaling to you the awesomeness that is not Jesus Christ, but themselves. I guess that is the case, yeah. I, I've become, as like a part that I've become so numb to all of this. I can't even tell what a, what, you know, what a life without it is like. But let's go back to Raw for every second and talk about, you know, the breakup that we all weren't prepared for, and that's the Radicals. Uh, so Eddie Guerrero won a match against Godfather after Godfather offered Tana to be in the whole train, and she politely turns him down by hitting him with her roses. Uh, also, there's a wild deal of brown appearance just to remind you that he's still alive. Uh, he did just disappear until he popped up as an uh, impact commentator. Uh, so Eddie gets a win there's a bit of an argument between Simon and Michael backstage as Benoit tries to get between them uh, and then Eddie comes in and makes things worse when he thinks he's helping like hey guys I know why you're mad like Perry don't worry you'll win a belt like the rest of us and then he says to Delanco hey man no I think your problem is I think you're sexually frustrated I can talk to China later see if she's got any friends which I think he's maybe planting the seeds for his uh ill-fated ladies man gimmick that really didn't work for Damon Lenko. Yeah, but, uh, Dean Bond really doesn't do it for me. <laughs> uh, you know, he's still on the shortlist to replace Daniel Craig, I hear. Uh, the Hardys beat the Radicals later on in the night, and then they, they start arguing once again. Eddie and China try to like get between them, but inevitably China and Eddie get attacked by Dean and Perry, so I think this is setting up the triple threat for the match for the European title come uh, judgment Day, but tonight we're going to have two singles matches, and Shane and Eddie are doing the rock, paper, scissors and flipping a coin to try and see who fights who. And so now, I briefly talked about this match on a show I did for Scott and Paul's Valman podcast where we did a bit of a retrospective on the light heavyweight title, and as part of his leading man's giving, he would defend the light heavyweight title uh, a few a few times against women, and this is the first instance he's defending Dean Blanco v. China for the light heavyweight title. Now, I don't mean to speak ill of the dead and everything, but China, I know she's a woman and therefore in their mind, oh, she's a light heavyweight. China's not a light heavyweight. Not with whatever she's been taking over the years. No, she's no light heavyweight. I mean, granted, she could probably, she probably bench presses uh, Dean Malenko, which especially makes it difficult to imagine. But when I think of light heavyweight, I don't think of China. You could probably bench press the combined weight of the entire like, heavyweight division. And even though that's not many people, it's still, still a lot more for China. So, yeah, we have China v. Diamanko, and they're like, and they all the country like, wow, she could actually win the light heavyweight title tonight. Okay? Like, well, she's in a light heavyweight title match. She's been IC champion. I'm sure you should use commentators and make us think that's, you know, of some possibility. But, hey. Uh, Demolenko does the classic keel thing. Of course, China falls for it. The uh, oh, I'm going to shake your hand, but nope, cheap shot. But uh, something I, I pay more attention to in my notes than the match itself is Eddie's t-shirt. And more than that, he's wearing one of China's t-shirts. Oh God, I can't believe I'm talking about this. On the front, it says the China, uh, which they made reference to. A couple of days in the past, it's a weird thing they try to make a catchphrase for China, and they put it on a T-shirt. And I think that that weird that shitty pun couldn't be worse. 
on the back of the t-shirt, it says, enter at your own risk. <laughs> so it really paints a different image of what China and Eddie Grail get up to, you know, when the cameras are off. If this is the kind of one you have to make about China. Absolutely. I mean, the only thing extra they need is for it to say underneath, enter at your own risk, but only a night at a time. (laughs) And this is why China never appeared with King Arthur and the round table. (laughs) Um, Interesting is what what I'm going to say. Was this around about the time where Jerry Lawler... Uh, they also mentioned that China appears in a magazine and we see a shot of her in a thong and Jerry Lawler instantly mentions it as his favourite magazine. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure they, they mentioned that in this episode. Yes, right. I'm going to say it. Jerry Lawler is starting to feel more and more like that distant, pervy uncle who pays a bit more too much attention to his eight-year-old niece in a swimsuit. Well... Thank you for that for that example, Sam. Why why do you think I feel uncomfortable listening to this man all the time? I mean, he's already, I think, in his fifties and he's like basically slobbering laboriously all over um basically any female with a pert bottom and tits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh I mean, I don't want to go near that a Perry Uncle comparison. I mean, he already got in trouble in ninety three for that those very same reasons, but we'll go back to the match because it really does feel like Blanco has got you know Blanco is very gently guiding China through this match for the most part. It feels like because he's doing a lot of the work. He hits a backbreaker, uh, but she manages catching with a low blow. The referee doesn't see it. The referee then takes a bump because of course he does. Even a light heavyweight heel match, the ref has to take a bump. Uh, Saturn attacks Eddie Guerrero. He teases going after Dean. Instead, he hits China with a brain buster because even though he doesn't like Dean, for some reason, Perry hates China and Eddie even more. And so Malenko retains thanks to Perry Sarton's help. Uh, I'm going to say it, it's not a good match. Even though like China works best when she's going with people who are very confident, not even Dean Malenko in this very short overbooked time they had could make this really worth watching. And, you know, they're basically implying that, oh, I, for some reason, Dean and uh, Perry are annoyed that Eddie's hanging around with China so much, and that's why the radicals are falling apart. Dean Malenko is one of the greatest technical wrestlers of all time, to the point that in 1997, I'm pretty sure he was voted the best wrestler in the world. Um, and even he struggles to get an adequately competent match out of China. China is a good character, but the more and more often she appears in the ring, the more her flaws start to become obvious. Her timing issues, her difficulty with just bumping in general. Um, it's it's um, it's unfortunate to see. Um, I mean, she went to bounce off the ropes and she almost tripped onto the middle rope. You know, you wouldn't. Ex- that's something I would expect from Jackie Gado in her first appearance, not someone who's been wrestling for two to three years by that point. And it doesn't help as well that you've got a situation where the referee 
looks like an idiot because he's moving so close to Malenko in the corner to make it as obvious as possible. I mean, you, if you didn't know any better, you'd say he was into being cuckold or something like that. <laughs> um, the best part of this match was the moment where Jerry Lauder was mentioned about Yoko Ono and the Beatles, and <laughs> Michael Cole responded with, Yoko Zuna bro- uh, broke up the Beatles. <laughs> And I and do you know what? I'm gonna admit it. You're you're gonna get it recorded on this on this radio. Um I chuckled and then had a brief moment where I went, Oh no, I'm starting to like Michael Cole. <laughs> uh, I like I like Michael. He's he's harmless enough. You know, he's a bit of an idiot, but you know, at least he's on the opposite end of the spectrum from Jerry Lawler, at least, which is the nicest thing you can possibly say about him. A potted plant is uh, po- is more beneficial than Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, but after that, really low point in the show, and uh, Sam's assessment about the Life Sucks promo, things are about to take out a swing after we see Bill Buchanan, the boss man, go to a local bar and basically bully people and tell them to get the hell out of their seats before, basically, before... We're basically ordering a drink. Basically, we're gonna have a couple of segments of this during the night. What boss man should have said, "Get up in the seat, or I'll cook your dog." But he gets the guys to go out the way, and then we get to Edge and Christian backstage, who are charging fans for autographs and pictures after hanging around an RT Edge, going like, "Hey, Edge, that's your name." And then what's interesting when they charge a fan for the photo, they get Kevin Kelly to take it, and then right as they better click the photo, they both move in a way that basically blocks the fan out of the photo. So it's just the four of those guys with just the shadow of a guy behind them. And then Kevin Kelly's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you charging fans? Like, hey, people, everybody loves us. They want Everybody wants our, our pictures, you know. These guys are easy money. So full-on heel edging Christian here as they then made their way to the ring for a six-pan tag match. You know, like, you know, it's, we're finding it very hard to get the same respect from the people in the locker room that all of our fans give us. You know, there's one person in the WF who does respect us, and that's your Olympic hero, Kurt Echo. <laughs> and then Kurt Angle, Mr. America, says that, you know, it's nice, when I met Asian Christian, I found out that maybe Canada isn't just known for maple syrup and Michael J. Fox. <laughs> I, I'm going to say that, first of all, the Big Bossman and Bobby Canning segment was completely boring and i was already like oh no and then the contrast between the two was was so much better because edging christian just radiate charisma and their complete um obliviousness is just so fantastic that (laughs) you can't help but smile and chuckle when you watch them and then bringing out Kurt Angle, you are basically looking at a team of three future world champions who are so damn good together. I remember them as a team because at the time they were called Team Eck, as in E-C-K. So I'd be like, oh, it's Team Eck. And it's like, that's well, not a great name, but I love them. But, you know, it's just... I remember these guys together and this is where I feel Edge and Christian are starting to transition into being possibly two of the best heels on the roster. 
I would go that far because once they start really playing into the obliviousness of it and just get and just put on that grating like uh uh arrogant edge to them they just get so damn good at it and so entertaining and I love it I absolutely <laughs> love it so as soon as I see Kurt Angle come out I'm like yes I I don't care who they're facing I can't wait to watch these three and then it turns out that they're going to face three, uh, three others who are just as fantastic. And I'm going to say it. These six are probably integral members of the roster and could nowadays probably main event any show in the world still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I don't think anybody at this period could have really foreseen how important, how vital these six could have, or it would, would end up being you know, to like the upper mid-card, upper... You know, main event scene in the WWE in the next few years, especially when you go into like versus aggression, like SmackDown Six kind of era for some of these guys. And like even looking at like today, like Angle's the only one out of these six not still wrestling right now. And like and also they're teasing that the Hardys are going to get back for the reunion tour now that Jeff's not in WWE. So the fact that you know only one of the six is not wrestling anymore is just bizarre to me. I think you know and. Basically, when you think about the this new era, the second wave of the Attitude Era, where there's a bit more emphasis on like you know work rate and like like high flyers and stuff like that, these six along with the Dudleys are a big part of that. So basically, it's like, well, how would you summarize this, the second portion, like the 2000 2001 era of the Attitude Era, in one match? This one, this is what I do. I actually agree 100. Um, they the standard of the matches this year are going to improve uh, tenfold because of D6 and also members of the Radicals and the, the Dudley Boys. The overall standard of the wrestling is going to get to a point that you're going to actually watch these shows for the wrestling and not just because of the wacky storylines, which is what I prefer watching for, which is where years down the line will eventually become the wrestling show. And these six among the others really do deserve tremendous credit for the impact they're going to make. And it's shocking that considering the amount of damage that the rest of them have done to themselves, that Kurt Angle is the only one out of these six that has already retired. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, well, for a while, like we only had three in the left, but then even then since then, Edge, both Edge and Christian, have come out of retirement. And like Jeff Hardy, like if you, if you document his career, is one of his, his like most notable like major injury they had to take like a long period of time out of was a broken leg. I didn't even get that from any stunts. He was just riding his motorbike and got into an accident. So. Like all the shit that Jeff's on the ring, and yet he's not been injured. He's most likely injured himself when he's not wrestling. Oh, that's so Jeff Hardy. <laughs> oh, that's just Jeff. Oh, that Jeff. See, in the ring, he's indestructible. Walking down the street, he's a liability. <laughs> uh, but this is a, a hell of a match. You know, it was just like. A, I don't know how much time I got, but it wasn't enough for me because just all go in this match. You got the poetry in motion, and Harry followed up by a bulldog on the edge. Uh, Jeff obviously being the most like popular 
the lock basically is the one that gets worked over so he can build to the hot tag in the heel corner. Then there's a period where like, you get the classic, all everybody in the ring, everybody's fighting. Uh, Benoit comes in to get Sean Jericho behind the ref's back. Uh, then Jericho gets up, manages to tag out uh, into one of the Hardys just so he can get the ring and just run after Benoit. Uh, yeah, gets this one to an angle, but then uh, Asian Christian used the, the ring bell, which has been their signature weapon so far, behind the ref's back for the win. And then even though it's a very cheap uh, victory, which required that one of the members of the face team, you know, basically leaving and the use of the ring bell, we cut backstage uh, and Edge and Christian and uh, Kurt are just throwing random bits of food they find catering out to sell each other. Whoa! Just throwing whatever they can find up in there. Oh, fucking love it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, this was, this match was good fun. Um, I like the the last minute or or whatever is so damn manic from the moment that like Benoit attacks Jericho and rolls him in to get a spear from Edge. You've then got Jericho running out of Benoit. You've got tags to Matt Hardy. You got referees separating. We've got Swanton bombs. We've got ring bells. We've got it's just absolute insanity. And it's I I was just like oh my god that was great fun. But the disappointing thing, and it, it always seems to be my word at this rate, which is really unfortunate. This match was good fun, but it actually lasted 222 seconds. Wow. And that is abysmally short for six of the best wrestlers on the roster. You could have had 22 minutes and it would probably have been awesome. And instead, you you only just about gave them less than four minutes, which is, it just ends up feeling like a tease of what could have been. But I would be lying if I said it wasn't fun. And also it accomplished furthering multiple stories, which is good. It's really clever. And I'm happy with that. I find it bizarre that since the triangle ladder match, and even though Jeff had the most notable spot with the dive on the, the giant ladder on the outside, the Hardys have had fuck all to really do since WrestleMania. Jeff, Matt randomly won the hardcore title for a couple of days, so that these two could be inserted into a six-man hardcore match at Backlash, but going into a judgment day, like, I think the fact that they got Jericho out of there so one of the hardest to pin was basically because Edge and Christian and Kurt were going to a six-man against two Gil and Rikishi, at Judgment Day, so they need a win as a team to establish them a bit more as like a heel, goofy like heel threat, and then we need further the Jericho, Jericho Benoit. We can't have Jericho lose so that because he'll look weak compared to Benoit. So obviously, uh, Hardy's you're up. I can't even remember which one of them got Ben. It might have been Jeff, but like it's the fact that right, right now the Hardys have nothing to do. It's almost as if they could do with a, a new female, you know, third member. Maybe not just the Valley, but someone who could also do. The crazy spots. I wonder if there's anybody like that somewhere in the WWF. Tory. Absolutely. You're reading my mind. <laughs> but, uh, so after the the Asian Christian like celebrations, we now come to the only thing that's carried over from Insurrection. It's the British Bulldog defending the Hardcore title against Hardcore Holly. 
Yes. Uh, I believe it was during Angle and Benoit's match at uh, Insurrection. Crash Ollie Randall came in and commentated. Oh, I'm putting up my my hardcore title 24-7, but tonight I'm willing to fight any any Englishman that thinks he's tough enough to face me. And then out comes the British Bulldog, who I thought I figured it would just be like, oh, quick, Crash tries to run away. Bulldog drives the back, slam. Yeah. Bulldog's a jamming quick pop in London. But no, it was just a. Uh, it was a, almost a mini match that they had with Crash getting some offense in, but inevitably falling to the British Bulldog, who is defending the title against Hardcore Holly. Who Hardcore doesn't give a fuck how fucked uh, Bulldog is. He's just throwing everything at him, throwing him in his ditch, just pouring drinks on him, hitting with getting stuff from fucking toolboxes. Bulldog does not look in a good way. I know it's an understatement at this period, but like this is his last appearance. That's the last thing we'll talk about him on this show. And, you know, leave the memories alone and all that. But Bulldog, you know, legit, this dog is on his last legs. This dog is not so much on his last legs. This dog is already around the shed, about to have the gun put against his head, unfortunately. It's it's quite uncomfortable to watch, actually, the way that Hardcore Holly attacks him. Because Bulldog can barely walk. Let's be honest, he can barely move. He's He looks like it's taking everything he has just to walk down to the ring. And Hardcore Holly has almost taken that personally and decided, right, I'm going to beat you, to cr- beat you within an inch of your life. And it just, I didn't like it, I have to admit. Um... It really felt to some degrees like Hardcore Holly wasn't just working stiff, but as if he had a personal vendetta against British Bulldog, which is just not nice at all. Yeah, I think I think he just knew that he wasn't winning, so he just he was just annoyed. He was already in the bad, but then he was still he wasn't winning, and like you can tell when Bulldog is went to steps, he's trying to slow himself down, trying to you know fall into the steps as gently as possible. But even then, he's he's falling into his solid steel on the steps so even there's no gentle way of taking that bump but uh, eventually Crash Ollie comes down hits uh, Bulldog and Cargo with a trash can lead pins Bulldog for the title as almost and in his own brand of you know going away presence uh, Hardcore Ollie hits a falcon arrow onto a chair to send Bulldog back in to basically say fuck you and fuck your back <sighs> God, I really hope that Hardcore Holly never becomes a me- medical ex- uh, expert or something like that. His therapy sessions would be horrendous. Can you imagine the bedside manner of Hardcore Holly? What are you doing here, you little, little bitch? Get out of that hospital bed. I've just had surgery. I don't give a fuck. Do I look like I care? Get out of this hospital bed or I'll give you something to really be in bed about. Well, yeah, that's that's the point, Hardcore. Don't we had, don't confuse me. We had to we had to move hardcore out of uh, pediatrics. Keep giving the children falcon arrows. The parents were complaining. They said that when they wanted arrows, it was for cowboy and Indians, not for I'm gonna destroy this child. Some kid said something about Alabama. God, that Alabama slam was ungodly. The kids haven't been this upset since Jerry Lawler came to visit. <laughs> Yes, and that was a different type of damage. That was emotional and physical. <laughs> Speaking of emotional damage, Pat Patterson once again reminds us of the 
distinct face with the skid marks on Raw, and then Bossman Buchanan are angry at bar people because, you know, they make fun of wrestling or whatever. You know, basically they're reenacting, this is what we used to do back in the territory. Some guy came up to your bar, you beat the shit out of him. Uh, I'm, I'm glad they feel proud of themselves for this um, throwback to the olden days where men were men and um, that meant physical and violent abuse. And there we got uh, our handicap tables match, Big Show versus the Dudleys. And uh, Big Show does seem a fence the Dudleys off quite well on his own. You know, far too often the Dudleys are just randomly thrown into hardcore matches, or randomly thrown into handicap matches, you know, uh, where the odds are weirdly in their favour as a punishment. Like, you know, why, why, what is your... And also they keep giving them tables as well. Like, why are you giving them their specialty matches? Like, what, what is your thinking behind this? But we got Shane coming out on the ramp to try and distract the uh, big show. He does get a low blow from Devon. They do manage to get a double suplex on him. Uh, show then counters another double team attempt. Uh, big show weirdly goes up to the, the middle turnbuckle and we get a very, very nice looking 3D where the Dudley's basically grab both of the... Uh, where Devon manages to use Big Show's momentum, get him off the top rope, 3D through the table, which I thought was a beautiful looking finish to the match. And then we get progressive storylines after the match where Shane comes in, he's sneaking around the ring, uh, waiting for the Dudleys to leave before he jumps on Big Show and tries to get some cheap shots in. So the Dudleys sneak up behind him, they set up a table, but before they can put Shane through it, DX come out and uh, Tory slats both members of the Dudleys. And now this sets up Tory to be the newest obsession of Bubba, like, must put woman through table. Must give woman wood. Must give woman wood. <laughs> um, so this is our first unannounced match of the show. Get to have a second match with the Dudley boys. So we're getting our money's worth tonight. Yay. Um, I, I, I admit that I, I think the finish is good from the 3D. It looks fantastic. Um, it, I do think it's a slight issue that the big show seems to decide to climb up onto the second rope when he normally doesn't, but that is me mostly just nitpicking. Um, I would have enjoyed this match more if Jerry Lauder wasn't involved because the entire time he's making fun of the big show's feelings and it was distracting me from the match because I just end up thinking to myself, you're actually a real dick. You're not just like a heel. You're just not a nice guy. And it's, and it was at this point that I was starting to realize that as much as I may complain about the segments with Triple H and Vince McMahon, et cetera, I don't actually think that's the most painful thing to sit through. The most painful thing to sit through when watching these episodes is Jerry Lawler. I feel he really detracts from a lot of what we're watching because you can barely enjoy the matches or the stories because he needs to make, he needs to get all the attention. He's like that child in the corner wanting you to notice him. And it's just making me beg for when we finally get him replaced um, by Paul Heyman and Taz, but that's going to be a long time away. And until then, I really think that any episode that features Jerry Lawler is going to have a detraction to some degrees just because 
I don't think he's funny. It's uncomfortable to listen to him. He's pervy beyond a massive, understandable manner. And a lot of the times, he's just a bit of a cunt. And it, yeah. it's just horrible watching because of it. And that is really, that's really frustrating because I might have actually enjoyed this match, especially the story that it told with the Dudley boys helping Big Show afterwards. I really liked that moment. I thought that was really good. Um, it showed, uh, again, a little bit of difference to the character, something a little bit different. Um, but it's detracted from, um, which is really unfortunate and really frustrating for me. Yeah, I like the fact that like, it didn't, there, there was no animosity between the three guys here. Like The Dudleys have been put into this match, they're made to do it, and Big Show wants to or somebody because he's still angry at Shane so the Dudleys just happen to be in his way and so the Dudleys then go back to help him afterwards which, which makes sense and you know I think I think Jello makes a few inferior DNA comments about the big show but like yes I'm sure it's a challenge to be as tall as a big show in the modern world but like really there's advantages it's not really inferior DNA to be a fucking giant like the big show for one you can squash uh, dickheads like you Jerry but you know that's just that but I, I thought I was confused as to a different segment, but I think it's a match that thing that happens on Raw with Tori. I thought it was another thing with the table involved, but we'll get to that when it comes. As we have the EPA, who, despite being on at SmackDown and not being booked for SmackDown, they have a little television in their office while they're watching SmackDown, where they find out that, they, that Bossman Buchanan are at the bar. So they thought, ah, let's go to the bar. Uh, and this weird bit of inception comes to an end. Uh, the APA don't follow their own rules because they don't go out the door. Yeah, they they just uh, they're just gonna end up causing trouble. So it may actually almost be interesting. So I'm curious to see what happens. Um, but that would be later on in the night. Mm. So there we go on to Eddie Guerrero versus Perry Saturn for the European title, and Eddie goes right after Perry for what happened earlier on, which is no makes sense. Eddie gets launched into the, the turnbuckles as a nice hurricane run off the top. Uh, Saturn gets a close to again after a really nice looking elbow drop. Obviously, obviously Perry Saturn, he's no test, obviously. Uh, Lenko gets involved, he's arguing with the referee. China comes out with uh, a bunch of roses which he hits, hits Saturn with, but we don't find it until after match. There was actually a lead pipe hidden in there, uh, which helps Eddie get the win. So Eddie and China, they don't act exactly face-like, but at this point, you're basically saying, like, ah, well, the radicals are a bit boring. Eddie and Tanner, they're the ones you want to get behind. Mm. Let's be honest. Um, the, the, the good parts about this is that, one, it's worryingly possibly one of the better matches on the show. Um, but two, it's nice to actually see the relative faces be intelligent and showing a bit of thought and putting the heels against each other. It doesn't happen very often, obviously, because that would, because God forbid, baby faces actually look intelligent. But I, it was a nice little inclusion. I thought that um, really helped even the odds to some degrees for Eddie for the upcoming Judgment Day event because. Now, 
Perry Saturn and Dimalenko have actually battled each other and are starting to weaken each other. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting match. It's also an interesting match in the fact that this was our official main event of the night. Main event, Perry Saturn, you can't beat it. Ah, uh, no. What more do we expect? Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I, for once, I'm happier with the main event. That you know, this is one of the things I'm happy with the main event that we actually did get, and we'll get to that in a second before we eventually get the build up to. What we probably just could have just had one sailed in one segment. The AP arrive at the the bar and get into a brawl with Buchanan and Bossman, which goes goes on for quite a bit. I mean, it's funny to watch people get hit with things and people thrown through doors and everything, but it just goes on and on. You think, oh, maybe this is gonna be a rematch at, at Judgment Day with these guys because they fought at Backlash. Nope, there isn't. But it's just ah, these two teams having to be here. They're not doing anything. Let's just, let's let them do this for this week, because you know for some reason AP are still annoyed at began both and they they kind of lost fair and square at backlash. Yeah, but like um, uh, anything actually fair ever um, changed Bradshaw's opinion about life. Um, this was three segments that could have been one. Um, I almost would have preferred if. Um, you had just had Bob Buchanan and Bossman come in, bump into the APA, and then they just start a fight. And because the APA are slightly dickish anyway, so nobody's really going to be like, oh, that's out of character. Um, it also means that we're not sat around watching free segments to get a couple of minutes fighting in a bar. Um, and even that, they couldn't even seem to do it right because. One, you have Farouk make a big effort of picking up a TV only to throw it in the opposite direction to Big Boss Man. Like, legitimately the opposite direction. He couldn't have gotten it any worse if he tried. And also, why the hell would Bradshaw grab some random guy and throw him, throw him really hard into the, into the empty toilet? Like, really fucking hard. Apart from Bradshaw being shown as being a bully and an asshole. We know it's true, but that's supposed to be our baby face. <laughs> I know, like, we could have just done one segment, like, could have had the APA, like, doing their usual thing, playing cards, or drinking beer with a bunch of wrestlers in their, their office, and then, also because at the heart of it, even though they're dicks, both men and began, maybe some sort of law enforcement thing, so they could basically try and bust up and try and basically break up the, the game, and then that just leads to a fight, because, like, ah, oh, these heels, they're not having any fun. Let's fuck it, let's fight. <laughs> We fight on Thursday nights, Maggo. And that suddenly makes a lot more sense. And Joe, I, I almost wouldn't have minded too much if like it had been a segment of them have uh playing cards and getting into a fight, and then it being decided that actually they're gonna face each other in the ring and you have a hardcore match. You know, it wouldn't have been a great match, but it would have been something a little bit different and probably you know a lot better than some of the crap we've had to sit through. I mean probably make a lot more sense than British Bulldog versus Hardcore Holly and you get your Hardcore bit. So I, I question the booking on that one. It, I don't think it made much sense. I don't think it was done well. Yeah, me neither. You know, AP are going to have uh, a more notable part in the show next week. But, well, more than that when it comes. But now, the main event, 
too cool and Rikishi taking on DX and the match I was really excited for you know, getting to see too cool in the main event uh, you got the road dog mocking Grandmaster Sexy's dancing you know still better than whatever that weird thing is you do when you go and get people to bump and slam road dog but you know uh, the th- faces gang up on road dog but he managed to roll away the way before Rikishi can give him the bonsai drop Scotty Dog oh, gets actually some decent offense and he manages to hit the worm does take the pump handle slam at one point. Uh, and then it looks like they're going to eliminate Road Dog after uh, the hip hop drop from Grandmaster Sexy. So he goes for the pin. X Pop uh, hits him with the X Factor and uh, he's rolled over. Road Dog pins Scotty to the hottie. And then quickly, quickly afterwards, Grandmaster Sexy is eliminated with a pedigree. So, you know, I know they didn't last very long and when you really think about it, they probably shouldn't. But, like, it did feel like, oh, well, we, these guys are over. But really, Realistically, we really have plans for Rikishi out of the three of you, so where you used to go? <laughs> um, so this match was finally something for the crowd to get excited in. Um, this actually had a bit of... I don't want to say star power, because Chris Jericho got a really big ovation early on as well. A good reaction from the crowd. But this, this felt like something worth paying money for because it could be a big match and there's there's a there's a i'm enjoying it so far apart from this one moment which i can't look past which is where road dog has scotty to hotty pin and grandmaster sexy walks past road dog to go up top and hit the leg drop onto road dog but by that point, X-Pac has recovered and helps eliminate Scotty Too Hotty. And in my mind, all I can think of is if Grandmaster Sexy had been a proper tag team partner and not a freaking idiot, then Rodog could have been eliminated. But instead, the characterization of, Se- of Grandmaster Sexy is that he wastes time and ends up getting both members of his team eliminated in quick succession so the main thing i've learned from this match so far is that grandmaster sexy is a fucking imbecile and takes out to his dad way too much um and that is one little thing i have to admit i it's very difficult for me to look past just because of the stupidity of the moment um but it gets better gets better as you're going to explain and tell the audience it does get better there is hope at the end of this tunnel and it is not the light of the train about to hit us because yeah, it, it is good at that point like you actually think it's good to see two who getting this much offense in. and really i think after he's signing the lightweight division out of these three the personnel i get most excited to see like it tagged that is scotty too hot and so i'm really looking forward to what he does when he gets this like as this run on the Indies that he's promoting for 2022. Like he say, he's even going to be a signing in Glasgow in March, so I'm actually hoping he go along to that. So can't wait to see what Scotty does in 2022. But back to 2000, what he was doing was getting eliminated, which means it's Rikishi, you know, three on one. He has to overcome the odds. Very free acting that gets knocked down. Which leads to Dudley's coming in to hit both members, uh, both Xbox and Road Dog with the 3D. So Rikishi manages to pin both of them, and that's just out Rikishi and Triple H. Uh, Patterson tried to use his dirty underpants as like some version of the mandible claw or Mr. Sokol. Uh, and then eventually Rikishi gets them off him and uses it on Triple H. 
and then he gets Stephanie comes in, he knocks her down in the corner, and so they're both there in the stink face position, and then he's just kind of looking over like, can I give it to Triple H? Or Stephanie in the crowd are popping like Triple H, Stephanie. And eventually, teases going for Stephanie, which gives Triple H too much time to recover. Um, this is where it gets better, uh, as I said. Uh, unfortunately, another referee gets too close to the action. Tim White, stop following Jack Dillon's example, as displayed earlier on. Um, but having the Dudley boys come in and helping eliminate Road Dog in X Pack, um, I I actually kind of love that bit because it makes it shows clever storytelling that you're taking all these different elements and bringing it together in the main event. So this is the repercussions of X Pack and Road Dog's actions early on, and the team trying to punish the Dudley Boys as well. So it makes it makes actual booking sense, which I love. Um, the Pat Patterson bit is a little bit unnecessary, although I would be lying if I didn't say that getting to see Rikishi do a dirty underwear version of Mr. Sockle to Triple H wasn't amazing. I, I, I loved that. It was awesome. And again, it's an example of how good Triple H can be at taking hits and allowing other wrestlers to look good before he wins. So he does. So it's not a case of like Rikishi having been buried completely. Triple H wins as he should as the main eventer, but Rikishi has also looked very good as well. Um, and the stink face obviously to Stephanie would have been the best thing ever. I probably would have instantly changed at least two positive ratings on this one. Um, in the end, Triple H winning makes sense. You need him to keep strong in the lead up to the Iron Man match. And as a main event, it was it was fun. And it was it had a hot crowd, everything. So overall, um it got better. Yeah, because like you had Paris obviously mocking Bikishi for it, and then obviously Bikishi manages to take the underwear off of Paris and then use it against Triple H. I, I think I would have actually liked to at least let them get Stephanie with the stink face before Triple H gets the pedigree because Stephanie will make a point on the next episode of Raw and be like, oh god, I couldn't imagine what would have happened if, if Triple H hadn't saved me from that big ass in my face. It's like, but I think it would have been great to get for Stephanie to then come out and complain the following week. Like, I can't believe he gave me the stink face. I mean, me of all people, kind of thing. Because does he give enough of a, like, a humiliation to the heels before they ultimately came out on top? Which means, again, yeah, I got the best of both. And like you said, yeah, Triple H can't really back... It's going to be hard for Triple H to back up this whole and that damn good. Now I can go six and match to beat The Rock and become the champion again. I feel again he's losing randomly, throwing together tag matches on episodes of SmackDown. So Triple H did kind of have to win, but also got to put say like also all these faces are trying to come together to take down the the uh, But also going to maybe in a way implies that obviously without The Rock there, there's still one like solid member of the Babyface roster short. So which is why the heels end the week by standing tall. Yep, which makes complete and utter sense. Um, so I get it. Um, it it's a good it's a good element of storytelling in preparation, uh, and it's setting the table quite well. And I'm kind of um, kind of impressed at how they 
worked around not having the rock and almost making it seem more insurmountable odds to the point that you can hopefully set it up that when the rock returns he's the big hero and it'll be curious to see in the following week but considering you had possibly your best member of the roster roster unavailable um some good opportunities to have members of the roster. Chris Jericho got a bit of um, attention. Rikishi got some attention. Uh, Triple H got a good victory. It's the Dudley boys were quite involved. You know, um, depending on whether or not you like that or not. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm. I, I have some interesting thoughts for my conclusion. Um, yeah. You. You. Do you want me to run straight into it? Uh, before you do, I should mention it is nice that like. Of course, we're on SmackDown when The Rock wasn't there. You got to see a couple of different wrestlers kind of take the, the run for the night of like being the number one kind of good guy. You had Jericho on Raw. You had Kishi basically on SmackDown as the guy who had to battle back against the three-on-one odds, but only just to fall short, which makes you really probably root for him even more. I still have to mention, I found this out recently, according to Dave Meltzer at the time, uh, The Raw, not The Raw this week, but The Raw, the previous week that were kind of coming out back, that's got record numbers because... I think some people probably thought that given the fallout from Battle that Austin was going to be there, but also given that there was no Austin or, or Rock on this week's Raw, the ratings kind of dipped a bit. But they were at like a 6.2 or 6 point something, which nowadays they'd be fucking shouting from the rooftops. But in 2000, it was written up by Dave Meltzer that, oh, this was almost seen as a failure without the Rock and a lackluster card for Raw. Like, well, one, I quite enjoyed Raw and like, six, again, 6.2. Like, that's a failure to you in 2000. Nowadays, they would cut someone's hand off for that. I was going to make a, an idea of like selling Vince selling his soul, but you know, I'm sure there's enough jokes that can be made about that. Like he's already done it. He, he, he did it yeah. to, to win the steroid trail. Yeah, you ain't going to sell much if there's a, if there's only an inkling of it. It's like saying, "Oh, I'll sell I'll sell you this um this bag of air with a crisp in it." You know, <laughs> is it, not many people are going to buy that. So let's let's not. Let's not waste his time. Yeah, you get more money for mortgaging a property on Monopoly. And probably more likable people. <laughs> but yeah, like I don't have much to say in terms of my world thoughts, but I'll let you go first of your own thoughts, your rate and like where your thumb is for the episode and if you have any recommendations for people if you wanted them to check out one particular moment or match from this SmackDown. I love the fact you say if you have a recommendation. Uh, <laughs> Well, some, uh, weeks, some weeks it's harder. Yes. Um, so, pros. The main event was fun. Benoit's promo was good. The cons. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know whether it's just me, but I feel like even though we had the light heavyweight title, the intercontinental title, the hardcore title, and the European title being defended, the only title that actually had a big deal made out of it was the uh, was the hardcore championship because the others were almost like oh by the way i mean i almost didn't even realize that china had a light heavyweight championship match until at the end where it's like dimalenko uh keeps the title wait what and that just makes all of these matches feel like a real afterthought and another issue for me is that you start off with a match which would have allowed to the mat the show to start off with some energy 
And even though Briscoe and Shane both tried to promo segment into the match, it still allowed the show to kick off with some action. But then, just as the momentum has begun and you're starting to get somewhere, the McMahon-Holmesy faction have to come out with their um, with their must in a segment, which is a 12-minute promo that one could have been much quicker, caught a lot of the flab out, and two killed the momentum. And unfortunately, from then, the show really struggles to really regain that momentum, and it feels quite laboured for most of the show. And also, why are there so many spots? being repeated on this fucking show you have multiple heels winning you have multiple inf- interferences multiple referees getting wiped out why are none of the producers in communication with one another to avoid having this repetitive nature that makes this match feel like an almost a microcosm of the last four months and all the negatives of it i by the end i have to admit I hated this show. I thought it was awful. It's too much time dedicated to promos and segments from the faction. There were title matches that don't seem to matter. There was too much juvenile attention given to, given to skid marks and Jerry Lord had just being extra unbearable. I just didn't enjoy this show. However, I will recommend the main event is a surprisingly solid match with some good energy it shows what an infested crowd looks like. It had some actual time dedicated to it. This is probably one of the longest main events they've done in ages, uh, which is actually really impressive. And Rikishi ends up looking like a really good baby face, which is so important concerning you still have Austin out. Um, but overall, I would give it a thumbs down. Enough. So the main event is your, your recommendation. Yes, yes. The main event is my recommendation considering my complaints about it, which says something about my overall thoughts of the entire show. Yeah, I think um, I can't go. I'm going to go slightly more gently because I did like the Life Sucks promo. Uh, I didn't really care for the rest of the thing, just that bit from Vince I enjoyed personally. So I'm going to give it give a a middle thumb, some of the middle, but you know, it's dangling dangerously close to going all the way down because, like you said, like they, they seem to like stack it through the title matches, which sometimes can be a good thing, but a lot of them didn't seem to be that really notable, other than, like you said, the hardcore title match because it's one of the only things that's that, you know, tied into their recent UK pay per view. I'm not going to recommend the, uh, the the promo from Vince because I feel like Sam would judge me heavily for it, so instead, I'm going to recommend what I thought his was going to be too late. Too late, I already fucking judge you. Which is, I'm going to recommend the six-man match from early in the card with Team X versus the Hardys and Jericho. So, you know, that leads to something else has a lot to offer, I think, on that. In terms of, like, recommendations, like, I say a lot as in three, in my opinion. But, like I said, as well, even though they're helping to progress the way lines for Judgment Day for what is looking to be a really strong card, uh, they're still, I think they'll was a lot lacking for it. Maybe it was indeed the lack of rock, but there was just not a lot else on this show, like the matches, but other than the two matches we mentioned, there wasn't a lot to really get your teeth into. I think that's probably a much fairer uh, assessment than mine. I think mine's a bit more embittered 
yours is probably a much fairer uh, appraisal of it, but that might be because you had Monday Night War to counterbalance the crap. Yeah, I'm, I'm in far too deep here. I'm already wading up to my knees in this 2000-ness, if that's even a word. You're in too deep and you're trying to keep up above in my head. Instead of going under, instead of going under again. And now I've got some 41 in my head. <gasps> that has to be the end song because you're in too deep. I was going to play some sort of Weed the Memories Alone or some sort of sermon as a send off to the Bulldog, but that's another option. But, you know, you know <laughs> weirdly enough, this is the second podcast and the last week that I've done where some 41 has been quoted. And let, the last time was uh, on a recent uh, episode of East Meets West, which is a New Japan show I do over at ESSR. I quoted some some 41 lyrics, although there were a more, more negative context just how shit evil and dick togo are but you know i'm not gonna give you more context i'll mention my plugs but go go listen to that when this is done but as the co-host sam always gets to go first with his uh with his plugs so sam you know you've had some spare time to potentially do some articles while i made my way back while i've hitchhiked like bruce banner back from insurrection so have you got anything new to plug for us no okay then night <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, there was one that I have recently done that I actually am very happy with. Um, it has unfortunately been a case that due to um, work, basically, there's no other word for it. Um, I haven't had the time or the energy to uh, do articles in my spare time. But I have recently done one on cultured vultures um, where following what I thought was a fantastic uh, title defense uh, against Chris Saban, I discuss 10 potential challengers for Jonathan Greshman's Ring of Honor world title. I think he is one of the most underrated and underappreciated stars still on the independent roster. I think that any company who gets him would be extremely lucky. And I, I love the idea of him being a traveling world champion defending with other companies so because of that i created a list of 10 potential challengers that i thought would make a fantastic match with jonathan gresham and do you know who was going to be my second choice on that one uh scott i was going to put josh alexander and then as soon as i started writing the article they announced that jonathan gresham was defending against Josh Alexander. And I was like, wow, take my fucking pick. Why don't you, John? God, bastard. So that I have recently released and is on culturedvultures.com. <laughs> I remember the time I was going to write a King of the Ring, like potential choices one. And then as I was writing two of the suggestions, potentially King Clear weren't going to be involved in it. And then when I was midway through the article, they basically just announced who was in the tournament. I thought, Oh, fuck it. Why do I even bother? <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I've not even seen Terminus where they have that match between Alexander and and, and Jonathan Gresham, but I do watch it. That and GCW, I've been watching a lot of non-WWE stuff. You know, I'm going to watch the Rumble this weekend, but uh, I'm looking for some non-WWE stuff to watch because I've, you know, New Japan's on a tour right now, but the good matches, you know, that you should care about don't have to start till the 13th of February, so I'm I'm watching a lot more Impact and 
some non-WWE like indie stuff right now. Uh, you can listen to me talking about Impact over at Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast at SV Rambly, or also on the Rogue Opinions feed. And Rogue Opinions you can find at Rogue underscore Opinions. Uh, where we're, we're going to be talking about Impact this coming week. We recently did look back 30 years on the Royal Rumble 1982, a show we did early on in our podcasting group, but we've went back back to see if our opinions have changed on this Rumble. The one thing that hasn't changed, Hulk Hogan, still a prick. Uh, so we've got stuff to do with there. East meets West, like I said, on the SSR. Uh, I recently was on an episode of East Star Central, which is our roundup show that we do, kind of the weekly news, the stuff that's going on in WWE, AW, and also on a, one of our featured shows where we look back at the career of the Tribal Chief Roman Reigns, and we do joke the fact that you can listen back to it show a year from now, and there's a chance he's still the Universal Champion. Uh, oh yeah, on on Rogue Opinions, I've also got the I've got Pod Name Easy with uh, Carl Pierce, where we're currently making our way through the Book of Boba Fett, which is very interesting. And then we've got a bit of a gap in content, and we don't know what we're going to do once Book of Boba Fett ends and Midnight starting. Carl is twisting my arm, twisting. Oh, we could do the Witcher. Like Carl, stop saying that. Like, I'm sure I'd like The Witcher if I watched it, but Carl won't stop banging on about it. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I've got going on right now. So uh, even on the, my way back from Insurrection, I still managed to get more plugs in than some. To be fair, I think I could spend all week working on things and you'd still have more plugs than I do. I think you've got an entire collection of plugs. You could probably go to a kink shop and fit in well. <laughs> Oh, well, on that unsavory note, anyway, you just have to lower the very tone of the show every single week, don't you? Uh, I didn't realise there was a tone. <laughs> this is a very professional shot for sophisticated fans of a certain era of Spectre. But every weekend comes Sam with his filth, absolute filth. Hey, sophistication. I bring the sophistication. This is a Scottish representative. It needs sophistication. That's what I'm here for. Well, on that charming note, we'll see you next time for the go home episode to uh, for the go home episode to Judgment Day, where a certain boy toy returns, and we have a very interesting hardcore title change. All that to come next week. But for now, from Sam and myself, let's we'll just say thank you listening to the Rogue Retro Smackdown interview and just say bye-bye. Bye-bye. The faster we're falling, we're stopping and stalling, we're running in circles again. Just as things were looking up, you said it wasn't good enough, but still we're trying one more time.
complain, but when they're driving me insane, well then I think